0: Packet Pushers. Hey
1: everybody, welcome to Packet Protector, a new podcast at the intersection of security and networking from the Packet Pushers. I'm Jennifer JJ Bonella, and I'm here with Packet Pushers' own Drew Conry murray And each week here we discuss security topics, trends, and a couple of news headlines, plus we're going to be providing technical and strategic information that you can put to work. Some weeks we talk with subject matter experts to get their perspectives and spice it up a little bit. So whether security is your full-time job or just one of your responsibilities, Packet Protector is for you. And in fact, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic request or burning question that you want answered, hop over to packetpushers.net slash F-U. And send us a note. And Drew, I'm hoping the FU is for follow-up here. <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> but
0: if, if you're new to Packet Pushers, that should give you a sense of uh, kind of the humor we we run with. But yes, pushers.net slash FU. The FU is for follow-up, and we do love comments, clarifications, questions, uh, whatever's on your mind, hit us up. Awesome.
1: So Drew, I know today we're diving into this kind of wild and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful world of secrets management <laughs> For network engineers. And, you know, kind of before we're getting into that, I did want to just level set with what we mean by secrets management here and maybe privileged access management. And so really in this context, what we kind of want to talk about is, you know, the secret management as a practice that really allows privileged users to securely store sensitive data. And that's going to be in a secure way and, and that we don't necessarily have specifics around what that is. But for network engineers, this might be passwords, SSH keys, API keys, and private certificate uh, keys. So, we're going to be talking about that, how to protect those credentials, and then a little bit about privileged access management, which really is not just a product, it encompasses sort of a suite of practices around protecting access for those admin users that have those privileged credentials.
0: Yeah, secrets management is, frankly, kind of a hornet's nest because you are dealing with the literal keys to the kingdom, uh, and you need to protect those keys, but people also need to have keys to the protection you're using to protect those keys, and it's kind of just this uh, spiral of despair, frankly, but uh, we'll get into it.
1: You just made that extra twisty. (laughs) Let's talk about some of the uh, maybe recent trends and, and news stories around this, and You know, nothing specific from this week particular, but if we look over the past several months, and and even trends from the past two, three, four years, one of the interesting things is that credential theft, so theft of those different secrets we're talking about, has been the number one cause of data breaches. Mm -hmm. And those breaches, which uh, were caused by stolen or compromised credentials, had an average cost of $4.5 million with an M, million dollars. Uh, so that this is not small potatoes, I guess.
0: Right, and if that's just an average, then there are numbers on either side of that that go lower or higher. So yeah, not, not surprised that, the, that these kind of breaches are happening and that they tend to be costly.
1: Yeah, and there's all kinds of fun numbers and things like the Verizon um, DBIR, which they yep. put out each year. It's a fantastic resource. Um, you know, some of the other numbers that we've seen from, of course, of course, some of the numbers are maybe... A, a little bit massage because they're coming out of the vendors in the space. But even the third-party analysis here tells us things like, you know, three and four. So 75% of people uh, are at risk because of poor password practices or poor poor secrets management practices. Mm-hmm. And then I think the more recent issue we've seen, just maybe popping up in the past 18 months or so, hitting prime time, is this hard-coded credential where... You know, developers, sysadmin, network admins, fill in the blank, are hard coding credentials into different scripts, uh, scriptlets, um, and API calls. And so those numbers have been skyrocketing and they're looking at, you know, growth at like 50 and and 60 and 70 percent year over year with how many publicly facing Resources are finding with these with these credentials that are hard coded in.
0: Yeah, that's scary. You know, we hear about you know the occasional vendor having a hard coded you know lame password that's a you know, password one two three or whatever, uh, maybe in the management plane. But uh, if you're also doing it yourself, hard coding credentials inside your scripts, you might want to rethink that.
1: I'll be really interested, in Maybe one, of, maybe in the next few weeks, we'll get somebody who uh, who actually does you know software development and has a history in that to come come uh, school us on what goes on in, in the hearts and minds of a developer at this point in time. We, we probably need to have like their voice anonymized or something, but yes, yes. that would be interesting. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, but anyway, there's just a long list of, you know, privileged access related breaches over the years. Uh, we've, pages and pages from, you know, consumer and retail organizations. Our U.S. Navy Special Warfare Group lost um, submarine communication codes to China through p- privileged access uh, challenges here. And then kind of maybe pivoting a tiny bit and talking about the the privileged access management, which is more of that broader suite of controlling what somebody can do with the credentials that we're securing somewhere. And we have a lot of different breaches that are by insiders. So people people who are authorized within the organization. And a lot of times that's just unintentional. So, you know, the idea of privileged access management where we're implementing this concept of least privilege of really, we're only going to give you the access to what you need to do to do your job and not any type of elevated privileges beyond that. And I'm guessing, uh, you know, like the parallel here in networking and Cisco is, you know, you've got your different authorization levels as, as a, you know, an admin, a network admin that you can implement. And, you know, certainly as we get into like TACAX. And we can we can very tightly scope that, right?
0: Yeah, maybe I can go in and view configs, but not change them and so on. Maybe I can see what version of software it's running, but not update it, et cetera.
1: Yeah, but I think probably the most notable incident we had related to secrets management or password management um, in the past year or so was LastPass. So the LastPass breach, and I'm not trying to pick on LastPass, but it, it happened um you know so we're just going to use this as as a case study and example but you know in that breach it was a developer's personal home network and home computer through a plex server that was compromised and it, and it was pretty tricky what they did but ultimately that developer was logging into a production environment using you know sort of master keys to the kingdom uh-huh. and a level of access that only four people in the whole organization had wow and, you know, from a personal computer on a home network. So through a series of of interesting, you know, little micro attacks there, the attackers uh, strung several vulnerabilities together. They were able to capture that um, and mimic that connection and, and steal their credentials uh, from that home computer. And this, I mean, this played out over months. Right. So they were investigating the breach. They kind of trickled. I don't know if, you know, how many of the different... Uh, reports you read and, and, and you know, coverage of this story, but it's been trickling data over the course of months now, probably a year. Right. But then at the end of last year, what it seemed like was happening, because so the, the fast forward through all of this different investigation with the LastPass thing, what they were pretty sure at the end of it was that the production environment had been compromised and that customers, so those, those of us that were using LastPass, our vaults, had also been stolen, but they were still encrypted. And so then it was the question of, well, can they brute force these vaults? ok mm-hmm. or or can they go, you know, acquire um you know, credentials that might be tied to an email address and just try, you know, credential stuffing and brute force to figure out what those passwords are for the vaults. And what it looks like is happening is that the attackers were actually pretty smart and strategic here, that they did brute force some of the vaults specifically to get the seed data for cryptocurrencies. So they've been stealing (laughs) cryptocurrency. And I think the last report I saw, this might be out of date at this point, but, you know, it was like $35 million. Wow. Yeah. And that all just started from poorly protecting a password.
0: Yeah. And this is kind of what's frightening because LastPass and other password management products are there to protect your passwords, protect these credentials so that you don't have to worry about it. But if they can't do that job, then what does that mean for the rest of us?
1: It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just screwed. Right. But it kind of, it, it kind of brings me to this idea that, that was it, I think Spider, somewhere in Spider-Man that said like, with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. And I'm looking at this going, okay, four developers had access to the passwords that were really truly the keys, the keys to their kingdom and the keys to our kingdom as users of LastPass and customers of LastPass. Mm-hmm. But probably most of you guys listening, you know, most, many uh, network admins, sysadmins, developers have an absolutely ungodly amount of privileged access. <laughs> I, I mean, I know over the years I've had levels of access, even in not, not just my own environments, but customer environments that, that I was helping, you know, co-manage, uh-huh. um, that at this point in my you know career in life, I would be scared to, <laughs> to have that. I would be scared to have that level of access because right. it is a great responsibility, especially for, for protecting a customer. Yep. But I know we, you know, we're all just trying to get our work done. We're all just trying to do things. There's people, you know, barking at us, there's deadlines, there's this, there's that. Um, and half the time we're just, trying to figure out why something's not working. We get it working and we don't always make the most secure choices during a deployment and we don't always document things well enough to go back and remind ourselves to revisit that and, and tighten it down. So, you know, back to that passwords, SSH keys, API keys, you know, creating certificates and the whole certificate signing request chain and the the private keys associated with that. Probably all or most of us listening have these similar credentials and keys to the kingdom um, and so I kind of thought it would be interesting to, you know, talk through this uh, with us and our audience to think through what do we need to be doing differently and what do we need to be thinking about as we're kind of navigating our day in our life now.
0: Yeah, and I think that's sort of the central tension we're talking about here is that there are sensitive resources on the network inside the infrastructure. They have to be protected. There's a legitimate reason to protect them. But people also need to get their work done. And the more onerous you make getting that work done, the more workarounds people find or they just decide to get lazy and stop following best practices. Because as you said, somebody might be yelling at them because something's not working and it needs to get fixed right now. Uh, So it is a very difficult environment to kind of work in. So let's maybe talk about some approaches. Um, One of them is sort of just basic basic secrets management, yes? Yes. And essentially that's, what is secrets management? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I think you know this is that kind of class of of solution or or practice that allows those of us that are privileged users to securely store that so again, and here's where I think things branch out and it gets a little bit confusing um and and i and I'm confused, and so I know drew, you know we, we've talked about one of the reasons I'm excited about this podcast in this format is um you know, I've been a network engineer and architect. For over 20 years and doing security for well over 15 at this point. Um, and I'm very confused and lost a lot of the time. So uh with you know 20 years of of deep hands-on expert expertise here, um, I think if I have a lot of questions, probably a lot of people also have questions. Also have yes. questions. <laughs> yes. But secrets management is everything from, you know, password managers, so Last pass one pass or one yeah. password, there's so many to other types of secrets, so I think you know some of the examples I, I said were you know with the passwords, we've got ssh keys right um and API keys and tokens, and so you know, if you're a network engineer and you're logging into the various devices, whatever they are, switches, routers, firewalls, wireless uh, controllers or gateways. You you probably a lot well a lot of us that have been doing this a long time that prefer the CLI you know we probably have our various you know telnet and SSH agents where we set it all up and we can quick quickly get to things and certain things are reconfigured or, or saved in there for us um, but a lot of times I think what happens is and I'm curious if you've seen this too is we do need easy fast access and we don't want to stop and we need to fix something. Or configure something, or troubleshoot something, and look up and figure out which IP address it is, and then figure out what the credentials are to it, and and connect to some you know proxy vaulted solution if the enterprise has that. Right. And try to get into it. We we have our little quick list down the left, and we click on it, and it may even have pre saved keys or credentials for us. Right.
0: Yep. And you also may be able to work in some kind of multi factor uh, authentication, you know, username, passphrase, et cetera, or a token, uh, something that you actually have to have possession of to give you that extra layer of protection. But again, we've seen that itself is also not um, invulnerable. There are ways around that, or there are exploits that can, even if you've got multi-factor authentication, still lead to a loss or a breach or credential theft.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, maybe we'll do a whole session on multi-factor with somebody because it's it's just fascinating to me. There's so many layers of that. And I mean, the last pass breach, that workflow involved multi-factor. Um, so there's certainly a lot of ways around it from, um you know sim swapping to you know just creating alert fatigue if you've got the the push notification in the app where you're just looking for a yes or a no you know a lot of times an attacker can just like push 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 and the user's going to be like what the hell's going on and they finally just say okay fine because they don't they don't know what's in it they don't know that there's a malicious user initiating that to them right
0: Hello, podcast listener. Did you know you can get even more nerdy podcast goodness? Check out Heavy Networking, a weekly conversation about routing, switching, WANs, LANs, data center networks, and more. Each episode features network engineers and industry experts going deep on existing technologies, as well as looking over the horizon to see what's coming next and how to get ready for it. We also offer insights and tips on professional development and career advancement. From access control to zero touch, from the CCNA to the CCIE, Heavy Networking is the podcast for network engineers. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So I think um, one of the things that we should talk about is called Privileged Access Management, or PAM, uh, Privileged Access Management, very quickly. Um, Essentially what it does is it's monitoring access to sensitive or high-value devices and systems. And the idea is it's supposed to detect unauthorized access, it's supposed to flag anomalies, it should give you audit capabilities so that admins can see who has access to what and who's using what. Um, And I guess PAM is kind of like a subset of your identity and access management infrastructure. It's not a replacement for it, it's supposed to bolt onto it and help you get an extra layer of visibility into what's actually happening with the credentials in use out there.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's there's a... wild and wacky world just within the the world of privileged access management and and PAM solutions and workflows. Um, But yeah, exactly. Typically, you know, what I've seen, they they plug into some type of an identity store. So AD Mm -hmm. or intra-ID or, you know, Okta, whatever you're going to be using. And these, so sometimes what I've seen is they're, you know, enterprise wide, but a lot of times, what ends up happening is maybe a specific group or department initiates um, a Pam solution for their specific use case. And so, what that could look like in an organization is, you know, especially on networking, I'm going to kind of poke in a little bit more on that because, you know, obviously that's my background, and it's probably a lot of the listeners' backgrounds as well. And I think we do have some interesting requirements on the networking side because we are typically accessing things by CLI. We may need multiple levels or layers of access, um, and sometimes those things, you know, if you put a Pam solution in, and you are that's sort of a gatekeeper, and you're going through through the Pam gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna regret saying this. You could kind of think of it as like a sort of it has some common principles and overlap with how a a VPN might work. And a big asterisk and caveat there. I'll, I'll clarify in a second, but okay. um, you're you're getting to that thing. And then the PAM is controlling your access to what's beyond it.
0: Okay, so essentially, in some ways, like a proxy or a gateway that I have to pass through where a credential is stored. So I don't own that credential, it's the uh, PAM, whatever, jump server or whatever is providing that credential to my target device for me?
1: Sometimes, and I would say maybe, ideally, yes. So sometimes it can broker Mm -hmm. the access, Mm -hmm um well broker the access and broker the credential but other times it may just be more like a jump box type of setup but but there it's a hop between you and whatever it is that you're accessing okay and so sometimes it it might just be the thing that authenticates you and then does the audit i think audit you know it's like the dirty five letter word <laughs> for so many people but like, if we just kind of think about it, if if you're a network engineer person and you are, or any technical professional, really, just kind of using that as a blanket statement, and you're you you are accessing something, or you're getting help accessing something. Let's say you've got a vendor that's helping you with the deployment or troubleshooting. Maybe there's somebody that's co-managing your environment, or maybe it's your vendor engineer that's that's offered to kind of hop in and and help with something. I think that happens a, a lot, or TAC. You have a TAC case open and they're like, okay, help me, you know, either you do a remote desktop share with them. But sometimes I've certainly sat on TAC calls that were very, <laughs> very, very long. And I can't afford to sit there and watch the engineer click around on my desktop for four hours <laughs> trying <laughs> to collect logs while I'm trying to freaking work. Right. <laughs> so, so there's a there's a play for using PAM for this type of thing. And, um, you know, back to this idea that m- maybe there are different PAMs uh products in the environment because it could be you know this group over here you know let's say it's uh, manufacturing or utilities and they have a lot of operational technology in their environment to support that so kind of ot type of stuff versus yep. our traditional it stuff yep. they may have a pam solution to deal with those vendors on the it side like i mentioned those of us you know that want that cli type of access we might want a different PAM solution because they're not all created equal. So they don't all do the same thing and they don't all do the same thing the same way. Right.
0: Yeah, they have different... There's cloud-based PAM, there's on-prem PAM, there's PAM you can get with your cloud infrastructure, there's PAM you can run on-prem, et cetera. Um, I think, though, if you're thinking about investigating privileged access management, you want it to have a few basic capabilities. One is... Enforce least privilege, so it's not just I'm going to broker a credential for you, it's also I'm going to broker your access level, i.e. based on your role and your responsibilities. If you are a junior engineer, you get level A. If you are a senior engineer, you get level A and level B and so on. Uh, So it provides that least privilege, which means you kind of reduce that attack surface, you reduce what an insider could do uh, if they happen to be malicious or if an outsider gets that credential, what they can do. Uh, The second thing is, again, minimizing insider threat uh, because... IT does have the keys to the kingdom, literally servers, databases, switches, routers, firewalls, security systems, um, your own colleagues essentially are a risk. uh, And so a PAM is supposed to help minimize that risk. And the third thing then is that assistance with audit and compliance. And that audit could be an internal audit. I just want to check every week who's doing what, who has access to what. It could be formal audits like uh, some kind of client compliance framework. I know, in fact, the PCI DSS literally says uh, suggests that yes, use a PAM. Uh, I think it's in section seven two two. It's so going to the good practices having privileged access management in place. So regardless of how it's deployed, these are kind of the, the, the I think table stakes features you want to look out for.
1: I think the good practice. Right. <laughs> we, we know you're not going to do a best practice, but let's just let's just get good. It's practice lower in the bar all the day.
0: Someday we'll get to best practice. Let's start with yeah. good practice. <laughs>
1: But yeah, and and you know the audit word again. I think this is kind of a lot of us just cringe, but I'm I'm hoping through the course of, you know, our conversations and some of the topics and people we're going to be talking to here that we can make that a little bit softer word for our technical audiences because there is there is a place for for us to participate in that and we can really do a lot of good work and and help an organization maintain its security posture through these different, you know, audit and compliance requirements and, and our role that we play in that. And certainly, you know, privilege access management, if it's done right, is an enabler, not another sticking point or a hurdle. But that's where it comes into, you know, picking the right products. I've, I've seen some that look pretty nightmarish to integrate on the back end, and they look relatively nightmarish if you are a network engineer who needs, you know, rather unfettered, you know, CLI access. And then there's you know, there are some other ones, I'll throw out one name just because I think it's popular in the networking community, you know, like Beyond Trust, that does a, a really interesting job and in sort of catering to that more technical audience of, you know, so if you imagine, take yourself out of the equation for a second, but if you did have a vendor coming in or TAC or someone, and you could, you know, give them give them the access that they need to help you without you letting them take over your entire desktop for the day. But you did have the control that you could, you know, you could set it up different ways. So maybe it works, you know, again, air air quoting, you can't see me air quoting sort of like a VPN and that they can connect and initiate that whenever they want to. It could be that that you know that they're going to be helping you, but you don't know exactly when. And so when a tech engineer or a vendor somebody hops in, or it could be even somebody from a different department. In your own organization so they're going to come in and try to help you it kicks off a request for access that you would then approve so you know let's say sally's my tech engineer sally's going to be logging into this um, router she's helping me with troubleshoot and i see an email that says hey sally's trying to access this this asset um, i've already set up the permissions for her ahead of time so i will just click okay go ahead and then on the back end also in the pam solution I can have those, you know, dirty word audit controls on. And so what it will do is it could put a few guardrails in place and make sure, you know, Sally Tech Engineer doesn't accidentally do something like wipe my entire config um, or or reboot or or break something potentially that I don't want her to be doing without me getting a change management request Uh and approval. Uh
0: Um,
1: But it can also record everything that happens. So some of these products get, you know, deeply integrated into you know, that sort of um, CLI level of command structure where you can be very granular and others of them don't. But typically all of them are going to have some recording capabilities. So whether it's PCI, you know, the payment card, um, DSS requirements or something else, or just your internal change management, you have now a recording and a log of what that person came in and did. And so you could scrub back and forth through it. So from a technical standpoint, I love that because it's a, you know, it's a it's a cover your ass from the security and compliance uh, checkbox standpoint. But it's also great because if I don't know exactly what Sally did and I need to go back and maybe replicate whatever commands he or she was running, I have a tool to do that. So it kind of solves my documentation issue as well as that security checkbox.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with a little CYA, uh, particularly around access management and, and these kind of controls. Uh, you want to have those logs because they could be the evidence you need to say, This wasn't my fault, uh, if nothing else. Uh, A a couple of the names that come to mind uh, talking about Pam when I was researching for this episode, CyberArk came up a lot. They've obviously got, they've been in the you know password vault space for a long time. They've got Pam options as well. And um, there's another company called StrongDM. They may be more aimed at the developer crowd, um, but they are doing privilege access management. And they've added a twist in that it's not just privilege access management. There's also a time value to it in that uh, after a particular session or whatever ends, that credential gets revoked. So it's not a persistent credential that could be exploited. Um, So, And and, uh, the Day2Cloud show has done a couple of interviews with them if you're interested in checking out StrongDM and get more details on that.
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah, I've not seen that one yet. Um, I know like Delinea has been a big one, uh, Manage Engine. Yeah. Uh, So I mean, I'm not trying to you are not, not endorsing anybody here. We're the just other. giving you but there, names. But this is to one go. of those where I think there's there's a space for everybody because you know CyberArk is very robust, but it robust also means a little more, you know, complicated to yes. to integrate. It's it's got its you know it's got its target audience. Uh, the the Beyond Trust is the delineas of the world. You know, focus a little bit differently. So um, yeah, lots of stuff out there. I think that would be a, a really cool a really cool maybe topic if people are interested. So packetpushers.net F you, uh, you know, let us know if you guys want to kind of hear some more along that line. So we can bring somebody in kind of really dive into what that looks like on the backend and how that gets integrated.
0: Yeah. If you're regularly using a, a, a privilege access manager and you can talk about it, uh, you don't have to say who you work for or whatever, but yeah, we'd love to maybe get you on the show and have a conversation. So uh, reach out. You can also find us on LinkedIn if you're interested. Um, I think one other thing to keep in mind is essentially, you know, Privileged access management is supposed to help you with your uh, access challenges, but it also itself is going to have its own challenges. Um, so I just want to kind of outline some that came to mind for me. One, I think, is you know keeping it updated. Users are changing their roles and responsibilities, which means their access requirements are going to change. So you want to make sure this system can keep up with However, you're doing your uh, roles and responsibilities, probably through some AD uh, infrastructure, but um, just making sure that those two things stay in lockstep because you don't want to have these <laughs> different roles and credentials based on incorrect information. The second thing is managing credentials and access to PAM itself. As we saw with LastPass, attackers will go after something like a LastPass because it's like a bank. That's where the money is. Uh, your privileged access management system itself becomes a target because if you can compromise it, then you... Have access to everything. Uh, the next thing is, how onerous is it uh, for IT employees, particularly to use? Because we know that uh, when uh, access becomes onerous, folks will find workarounds. Uh, so getting too hardcore and locked down can actually, in some ways, be worse than maybe even, well, not no controls, but you know mm-hmm.
1: what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: and I think the first thing is roles and responsibilities who's responsible for watching this for those alerts, for those anomalies, who's investigating them, who's doing the internal audits, uh, are those audits getting done? Um, I assume there's probably going to be some kind of separation of duty for something like this because, again, when we're talking about, uh, particularly thinking about internal risk, uh, you want to make sure there's other eyes looking at this as opposed to the people you might be worried about.
1: That's a great point. I mean, the the maturity of the organizations and the size of the organizations are just all over the place. And um, this is probably one of my... Soapbox items and points of <laughs> frustration just in pr- my professional life, which is that you know, yes, there are a lot of organizations I've worked with up to you know large fortune household names, and they tend to be very mature. They're highly regulated. They have very robust org charts in uh-huh. the operation side, the networking side, and the security side. But kind of the other ninety nine point nine nine some percent of us are in organizations where you know, we, and it's why I love this podcast, right? The intersection of security and networking or technical professionals is that there's not always a CISO and a whole organization around the CISO's office of analysts and, or even a SOC. Um, You know, the number of clients I've worked with over the years who's, you know, their foray into security was, okay, we have hired or we are hiring somebody to look at the firewall logs. And I imagine you know, at least one of you listening is is laughing, but this is the reality that we're living in. And it's great because at least they're thinking about, okay, we need to be doing something. But looking at firewall logs for anybody who's actually looked at firewall logs.
0: As a career, it sounds rough. It's,
1: it's, rough. <laughs> it's probably not going to move the needle or solve any problems. And you're probably going to have to get some mental health support for whoever's <laughs> looking at the logs. So we don't always have these like mature organizations. And so this, you know, roles and responsibilities things, I think you really just hit the nail on the head because if we have triggers for different alerts and we've got logging and fill in the blank, somebody has to be consuming that and somebody needs to be consuming that in a way that's scalable for a human. Again, looking at logs coming out of any piece of equipment or software is is not going to cut it. And here's where, you know, as we continue this Conversation and this mission each week with with this podcast. I think we have some opportunity here to figure out how. What do we do when we don't have a, you know a security team and a SOC to dump these things to? What is our responsibility?
0: Yeah, exactly. I think it's important to to kind of delineate those. And uh, uh, some organizations are a little more casual than others. And you know your uh, audit and compliance strategy you can't be just oh you know we we let Sally do that. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not not a policy. <laughs>
1: yeah drew there's just a lot to consider here with privileged access management so let's wrap up kind of circling back to secrets management for a quick second um because i I know we talked about what it was Uh, we didn't dive too much into what the action item was related to that so i'm curious on your thoughts but i guess mine mine related to this are you know secrets management whether it's a password manager uh, ssh keys api keys etc fill in the blank that we just need to be aware and have that sort of knowledge that we do have these secrets, be be hyper aware, even if it's not a straight username and password that, you know, SSH keys and API keys are just as vulnerable and just as important to protect as something like a root or an admin password mm-hmm. um, and credential set. So, you know, my kind of thoughts on this are, you know, no, let, let's pay more attention to these different keys and and tokens that we have that need some special love. My hope is that your the organization that you work with, at least for your day job, has something that is enterprise-wide for them that they have vetted and that they make it easy for you to use and integrate, whether it's on your computer, your phone, et cetera, and that you're able to take advantage of that for at least your your work purposes. And then if you're using them for personal you know, there's so many out there that are either free or or very well priced. And a lot of the business ones actually offer like home, free home use for their employee users. So that's definitely something to ask about. And then I think, um, you know, Drew, what I'm thinking here is, you know, make sure that the two things, make sure that the secrets manager you're using is appropriate for the secrets. So again, a password manager works great with passwords. Um, It may not be really set up to protect something like an SSH key or an API key. I mean, you can throw a string in there somewhere and do it as a secured note. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the you know the last piece there is whatever you're using, it's probably going to have areas for notes and unencrypted text uh, as well as, you know, the encrypted vaulted pieces of those entries. And just make sure you are using each of those appropriately. Do
0: you mean notes in terms of like, docu- like some documentation and some context or notes that contain... Sensitive information.
1: Yeah, well, both because so sometimes I think we sometimes there's a notes field. Um, You know, LastPass has a notes field, Keeper has notes fields, things like that. Uh And each of those different um, credential managers handles that differently. So in in some of them, all of it is vaulted and, and encrypted. And in others, maybe the password field is encrypted, but not the username and not the notes. I'm just I'm just throwing that as an example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you have like, um, you know, oh, my old password was this, because I don't know how many of you guys have done this, but it's like sometimes the the systems don't sync on the back end Mm -hmm. and some of the crap that you're logging into is federated with something else and the thing hasn't synced and you need your old password and your new password. um, Or Mm -hmm. recovery codes. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: That's kind of popular now is... You know, you have these recovery codes that an application might spit out at you, and they say save these uh, in case you get locked out of your account and you don't have your your password, multi factor, whatever. You can use these very long strings. Um, you know, Micro- Microsoft was one of the early adopters of this. They had you know application keys, so very long strings of um, letters and numbers that aren't going to go into the password field. That's not your password. So they end up usually getting stuck into notes. Um, if they're in a vault where the note is not encrypted, then that's definitely a, a vulnerability for you. Yeah.
0: So I guess my takeaways are, you know, if secrets management is something that you have to tackle, you good luck, you have our sympathies. Uh, it's, it's a tough gig. <laughs> um, and my second one is if you hadn't, Considered API keys, I really hadn't thought about it until you mentioned them. That's probably a very smart thing to be thinking about getting your arms around in terms of uh, secrets management because more and more systems, including networking systems, are using APIs uh, to connect, to share data, to trade data, to get to extract information from. They are, you know, definitely uh, something that you should be thinking about approaching systematically. So uh, if API keys weren't on your list before, they should be.
1: Yeah, Drew. I, so I've been I'm not a coder very, I'm going to tell on myself here, I, I quit coding at QBasic very long time ago because I'm just that bad at it. So I did do, Juniper had, a, Juniper Networks and their MIST stuff had some free like learn learn Python scripting to do some stuff mm-hmm. uh, because the, the Juniper MIST ecosystem is configured by API. So you, you don't have CLI and you don't have SNMP. You can use the web interface or you can interact with it through API scripts. So I thought that was cool and I wanted to understand that. And you know i did did all the little training and I did it in a demo environment, basically, right? It was not a production environment. But you know if you're starting to play with things like that, regardless of the vendor, fill in the blank, right. You know, definitely you're you're going to want to treat those those API keys just like you would a root password.
0: Uh-huh. All right, well, that uh, wraps up this episode. I think this is a topic we will probably be coming back to in many forms uh, as we run this podcast forward. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. And just a reminder uh, if you're interested, you can connect with JJ and me and everybody else at the Pack of Pushers crew directly via our Slack channel. We operate it for Pack Pushers listeners. It's free to sign up. You can tap into a vibrant community of infrastructure and security professionals or just come for the memes. You can check it out at packapushers.net slash Slack. As always, thanks for listening.